Uh, this is a great series. Let me kind of give you a, 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 some history of where we are. I like to do this every few weeks, just kind of tell you a little bit about us, in case you're new to, to City Hills, and a little bit about our story and really where we're headed, where we've been and where we're headed. Uh, we didn't launch this church, but uh, 10 months ago, September 25th of 2016. Y'all, we're almost at our one-year birthday, everybody. That's amazing. Yeah. It's like when you have a new baby. You know, when you have your first baby, like at the one-year birthday, you celebrate, but it's really not about the baby. You're just celebrating that you didn't kill it. Come on, everybody. Like that it's still alive after a year. You know what I mean? That's really what you're celebrating. And so we had a, we're, our one-year birthday is coming up. Matter of fact, we have some, our team is planning some crazy stuff for our one-year birthday. It's going to be amazing. But we launched uh, in an elementary school just next door to this campus, actually, Kendall Elementary, not far from here. And uh, we had over 400 people on the first day we opened the doors. And then in February, we launched a second service because we were growing so much. And then in June, we moved from the elementary school to the theater because we needed more room. And now look around, everybody. We're planning for more room. Amen, everybody. Like our team's already praying about what we're going to do next and how we're. And this is so cool because I love this season. Matter of fact, we moved here in June and we actually broke our, our yearly attendance record in the month of June, everybody. All of my pastor friends around, around, the uh, around the country were calling and and you know sad and ready to resign and you know or worse and and just give up and just hated people and hated their church and I was like y'all I love my church I don't know what y'all talking about I love these people this is absolutely amazing June and all it's because you're bringing your friends and family just exposing them to God's presence and and uh, and then we're just about to enter a growth season actually in August uh, I'm so excited about this twice a year we have what we call 21 days, a 21-day campaign of praying and fasting. In January, we pray and fast together as a church. And then in August, we pray together for 21 days and just believe God for the impossible. And our team's planning some really creative ways for you to connect with our church. We'll have prayer meetings for you to be a part of, nights of worship, everybody. And that way you can... Yeah, I, every time we end singing, I always think, oh, I want, I want more of that. And partly it's because i got to preach. But the other part is, is I, just, I just want more, and so we're going to have that in August and give you a chance to sort of stick around a little bit longer and um, but uh, we're entering that season you know August September October is just a great time uh, to plan I've already got our preaching series planned for the rest of the year as a matter of fact and just some great opportunities for you to bring people to church everybody and I just think this season is going to be incredible for folks to get saved I think there's going to be dozens of people get saved dozens of people baptized God's going to answer a bunch of prayer amen everybody this is going to be a great season of growth in our church and so I just started asking God, we're asking God what to do, you know, how, how, to, how to grow bigger venues, more services. We may add a third service or we may, you know, move theaters to a larger theater. We may add video campus, you know, to be able to expand our reach and give you another chance to be inside of another theater here on property while I'm preaching. And we don't know what we're going to do, but you don't worry about that. We'll figure all that out. You just keep bringing people to church and uh, we'll, we'll keep working through that. But we just, I, as we enter that season, I said, okay, God, what do we need to talk about? Like, how would you have us prepare our hearts as we enter in this season in August, especially of 21 Days of Prayer. And I really did feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me about this particular message uh, series. And the reason is, is because I think that a lot of people live their life strapped and live their life just bound up, especially financially. And they're struggling and, and they have great heart and they got great desire and they want to do something more. 
but they just, they don't know how to do it. They need financial freedom. They, they need financial margin. It just feels like there's just so much weighing down. And really, you know, the middle part of that, that money part kind of affects everything else. If you don't get this part right, then life seems like it's out of balance. You don't get this part right. You feel hopeless and you feel like, you know, nothing's ever going to work out. And, and so I just said, God, what, what could I do? And really, I mean this, the next three weeks, I want you to be here every single week because I think this is going to encourage you. I think it's going to help you. I really want you to step into some blessings that God has for your life. And so I started praying about this. And here's the reason why this is so important. First Timothy says it this way, 6 and 9. It says, people who want to get rich, and I don't want you to misunderstand this. This doesn't mean that, that you know, doing your best or God blessing you is wrong. It just means people who have a misinterpretation of money, they fall into, look at this, temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Man, this is really like not a good picture, to be honest with you. And then for the love of money, you've probably heard this misquoted all of your life. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. In other words, there's stuff in your life that's evil, that's just, you know, that's in your heart. You don't even realize is there. And it probably stems out of a love of money or just a, you know, misunderstanding how God would use money. And some people eager for money. Now, this is the real reason I'm preaching this the next three weeks. I really believe this. It's because some people eager for, eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. So as a pastor, like this, this is the part that gets my attention the most, that if you misunderstand money, that, that, that there's some people who've literally walked away from God because they just uh, eager for money or just eager for more and really misunderstanding how that happens. And, and so when I look at temptations and trials and destructions and wandered from faith and peers, I think, man, there's got to be a way out of all of this. Like, what, what are God's way out of this and some freedom? And, and so I want to talk through that uh, with you. And I hope the next three weeks are helpful for you. Some practical, but really more than just practical stuff. If you want that, go to Dave Ramsey. We have small groups. We'll launch and you can get in financial freedom and all that. But I want to give you God's perspective on, on money more than, more than just all of that. Let me ask you a quick question. Uh, take a quick poll. How many of you in your relationship, your marriage or your relationship, you are the saver? Let me see all the savers in the room. Spenders and savers. Let me see all the savers. Good. If you're, let me see all the spenders in the room. Raise your hand. Yeah. 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 You, if, you, if you don't know... She knows, like she knows you're the, you're the spender in the room. I was a saver. I'm, I'm a saver in our relationship now. Not bad about my wife. She's just more of a free spirit, and, and, and I, just, I just save. That's just the way. I, I grew up going to youth camps, summer camps in the summer, and my mom would give me money for summer camp, but the way she would do it is she would divide, because, you know, just making sure I didn't lose all of it at once. She would divide it up and put individual days, like how much I had for that day, in my jeans pocket. You know what I'm trying to say, everybody? And so it would be in my pocket. And once I, like a couple of years into camp, I caught on to this, that the rule was if I came home with money, I got to keep whatever it was I didn't spend at camp. Come on, somebody. Your boy was a mogul. You hear me? Your boy was savings. I'm talking about, girl, we'll go to the concession stand, but you got to buy. Daddy, Daddy ain't got no money. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I left my wallet. I don't know where my wallet is, girl. You got this? I, I, I don't know where my, uh, my money's in the dorm. I don't know. <laughs> and I'd come home with all this money, and I'd start saving. I said, I've, always, I've always thought that way. I've always thought in numbers like that. And, and listen, let me just be upfront about this. I don't have all this figured out. I, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, the answer to all of this. I don't have, 
you know, you need to seek financial counsel. Matter of fact, there's some great financial planners that attend our church and, and that do that for a living. And, and I think that'd be great. And, but you got to work at that. Like I've had a job. I've had a job since I was 14 years old. And if, how many of you have been working all your life? Let me see you. Where are you at right now? I meet people all the time in my perfect, you know, as a pastor, you know, 26 years old. And they're like, pastor, you know, I'm not working right now. I'm just trying to find myself. I'm thinking, I, I'm trying to find a girl. You hear me? I ain't trying to find myself. I'm trying to find a gas tank full of gas. That's what I had to find. So your boy had a job. I worked at Winn-Dixie. Y'all know about that? I was raised in the Deep South, and so I worked at Winn-Dixie when I was 14 years old. I don't know if it was legal. I don't even know how we did that. Anyway, and I, 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 know I had to work permit. Like, my mom had to sign a work permit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You you meet people today, and they're like, you know, my, my full-time job's playing video games right now, but I'm really praying about what God would have for me, and and don't pray about it no more. Just get a job. That's what God would have for you. So I'm just telling you what God wants for you. You got, you got to think about the numbers. And so, uh, you know, I've always tried to live on less than what I had or, or just, you know, live on a budget and try to spend less than I've made. And I just think in numbers. And, and, but I don't have all the answers. But the numbers are important. Like, you got to get it all right. Matter of fact, if you just look at the finances, you just look at numbers only. Let me kind of give you some principles. If that's all we're doing, let me give you some practical things that you're going to have to get right. As we began a financial series, a generosity series, let me just give you, there's five things you got to get right. Here's the first one. I hope you're taking notes. You got to get earning right. If you were to sit down with a financial planner, they're going to tell you, you got to get a J-O-B, everybody. You got to get a job. How many of you ever had two jobs or three jobs in your world? You know what I'm saying? I just got to increase earning. I just, I got to get it right. There ain't nothing to manage if you ain't got nothing coming in. Somebody say amen. So you got to get a job. Let me just... All you parents, let me let me help your teenager. You're twenty something year old. You you got you got to get something like I. You're full. I know that that you think that you're gonna you know write video games for a living, but just in case that doesn't work out, just holler at H E B and see what they would say. Okay, just see if they got an opening for you. And I want you to get two or three degrees in general studies, you know, when you change your major. But, I, but in the meantime, just you got to increase earning. It's just something you you know you got to have that side. You got to set yourself up. Uh, and increase that side of the equation. The second thing they would tell you, you got to get spending under control. If you're just looking at the numbers, and spending is important, and, and sort of, you know, living on a budget. I read something the other day that 90% of Americans don't have a budget. Look around. 90% of y'all probably just don't, don't have a budget, don't live by a budget. And, and our, we got to get our spending, you know, in control. A lot of us just kind of work on that, I hope it works out deal. Y'all know somebody, don't raise your hands, you know somebody that doesn't have a budget, they just check online banking like 300 times a day. You know what I'm saying? Like they're in line at Taco Bell going, I can, let me see, hang on just a second. Let me see. Let me, oh, I'm good. I got you. I got, I got it. I got it. Uh, you're just, uh, just hoping it all works out because I really don't have a budget, really don't have a plan for how we spend money. And we're going to help you with that. I hope to. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll have financial you know, groups that launch this fall semester in our connect groups and some ways to help you with that. that this last semester, I think in, in the spring, we had just a few dozen people graduated Financial Peace University and, and trying to get spending in order and, and work all that out. And then the third thing, uh, if you were dealing with a financial planner today, would tell you after earning and spending, you got to get to saving. You got to start working on how that you save. The Bible talks about saving. Proverbs 21 says that the fool spends all that he has. You got to talk about savings. And it's really hard to do that because I read the same study that I, that I just referenced. I read that America, most Americans spend 136% of their income. 
Y'all didn't catch that. Most, y'all not good at math. Most Americans spend 136% of their income. At some point, there's going to be a month when 36% catches up with you, everybody. You know what I'm trying to say? When you just, there's no saving. There's no, there's no you know, saving for a rainy day. You're saving for something else or, you know, an emergency fund or, you know, three to six months. You just never know. You never know when, you know, there's a health crisis or a financial, you know, something happens. There's just no savings set aside. But if you were dealing with just the numbers, that after you got to earning and spending and saving, then, then they kind of get to the fun part. Then you get to investing. Then you get to really, you know, how do I put money aside that it grows so that it blesses me when I'm older, blesses my family. And if you start early enough, I read something that if a 25-year-old would start at 25 years old, that if you would take the average car payment, the average car payment in America is about $480, $484. If you took that money, instead of buying a new car, you, you drove that Ford Escort that your grandmama gave you. Come on. And you, and you just put that car payment in, the, in an investment that when you're 65, you'd have about 5 million bucks, everybody. And if you've got 5 million bucks you're retiring on, that's, you, you're gonna make, you, you can do okay. I mean, you can, you can go to Whataburger a time or two a week. You know what I'm saying? But we just don't do that. We just, you know, a lot of people just don't have this strategy and don't have investing in sort of what I do with all of that and, and, and how that all. And then the last thing, if you're dealing with a financial counsel, just kind of strictly based on, the numbers, they would say, once you get earning and spending and saving and investing, then if there's anything left over, they would just tell you that giving, you know, that this would be a part of the strategy. Even unbelievers know that, that giving is a part of it. The, the average American gives about 3% of their income away to charity. In the church, it's not much different than that. It's about 38 or 4% of uh, believers inside the church give, uh, give, give a, a percentage of their income away and, and, and do more, you know, than, than what they could do with just what they have. But as believers, here's what I went to God with. I said, okay, God, this can't be it. Like, this, this can't be, this can't offer hope to anybody because there's a lot of people have been trying to work through this over and over again, and it, the numbers still don't add up. It still doesn't work out. I just, I need to know that there's something more beyond that. Is there something greater than that? And here's what Haggai, the, the first chapter says. It says there is something bigger than that. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, give careful thought to your ways. Because you've planted much and you've harvested little. And when you eat, you never have enough. When you drink, you never have your fill. And you put on clothes, but they're not warm. He said, and you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Some of you just found your life verse. You know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're like, this is where I've been living since my 21. You know what I mean? Like this is the way I feel like my life is, man. I feel like I can't ever get ahead. I feel like I can't ever get enough. I get wages and I feel like literally I put my paycheck in my pocket and, and there's holes in that. This is what the Lord Almighty says, not what I say, not what our church says. It says you got to start looking at your way. Give careful attention to your ways. In other words, give careful thought. In other words, there may be another way. There may be a higher way, which really I think that there is like a higher way than that. I think that when I went to God, I said, God, is there something bigger than just these five things? If we're looking at money, is it bigger than earning and spending and saving and investing? And is there something greater than that? Matter of fact, the Bible would say this, that his ways, God's ways are higher than our ways. Say amen to that, everybody. That his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So there's a supernatural something going on. And really, when I look at, at you know, my financial life, or I look at my whole life, I don't just wanted to be what I can do in the natural I want God's supernatural blessing on everything that I have say amen to that everybody so I said God let's go beyond the numbers so here's what I want to help you with this very first week of, of this brand new series I want to go beyond the numbers I want to look at five areas I think that if you look differently and just beyond the you know the budget forms beyond the investing really even beyond just how you give I just want you to I want you to think higher than those five areas. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. I hope that you are. Instead of just earning, I really want you to look at your calling versus your compensation. 
To live by calling versus compensation. There, there's some people that you sort of look at their whole life based on, make decisions based on how much money I can make. And, and instead of chasing how much money you make, what would it look like in your life if you really chased your calling? If you really said, because here, here's what I know. I know that if you'll start doing what it is God created you to do, that you'll live the most fulfilled life you've ever lived. I know that if you'll start chasing your calling, knowing that God's called me to do this, that it doesn't matter, even if I'm making less than what I could have made if I would have gone another route, but I'm doing what I'm called to do, and I make decisions based on my calling, not on my compensation. Matter of fact, our whole church is, is sort of is, is gathered around this. That's why we have what we call the growth track. If you're new here, you'll see that on, on your worship guide. You see it kind of everywhere around our facility. Growth track for us is it's, it's our way to fulfill what we think God called us to do, which is help you discover your purpose. We actually point our whole church, like everybody, we point everybody towards discovering this thing, like the thing that God called you to do. And I really believe that if you'll discover what God called you to do, that there's no amount of money that could pull you away from that. If you'll do this all of your life, then this will take care of itself. But if you only chase compensation, you could die unfulfilled. Do you know what I'm trying to tell you? Say amen to that, everybody. I really want you to do what would it look like if we, you know, if we just kind of focus our every week people do that here. It's so amazing at this church how many people on what we call the dream team, people who sort of focus their whole lives on their calling. And, and when you do that, when you, when you chase your calling instead of your compensation, it's amazing what happens. You get fulfilled and then you actually get more done in your life, everybody, than just if I would have just chased compensation. Here's how Acts 20 says. It says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete it. Look at this. Not a task, not a job, not any degree I decided to chase, but I've, de I've decided to complete the task that God gave me. Like that I've really found the thing that the Lord Jesus gave me. Like that one thing, that task. Let me tell you the secret to, to, to your life. It's not accumulating more stuff, everybody. It's not even earning more money. It's deciding why you're on this planet. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's discovering the thing that God uniquely designed you to do and then doing that the rest of your life. Like discovering your calling. Here's the, here's the way I like to say it. Would you write this down? It's because we don't just need money to live on. We need something to live for. And if you chase your whole life just looking for money to live on and not something to live for, you'll never fully get fulfilled. You'll, you'll be like Haggai. They're just never going to be enough. You'll just never really have enough on that side of the deal. That's why, matter of fact, if you're on our dream team, really quickly, if you serve anywhere in our church on the dream team, would you just stand up? Stand up all over the room. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Dream team's all over the room. They're sitting by you. You didn't even know they were here. Look at them. They're spies. They're sitting by Our dream team, let me just, stay standing. These people that are standing up around you, listen, these people, some of them are doctors. Some of them are professionals. Some have master's degrees. They're counselors. They run businesses. They're business owners. These are, there's some great people here, but on Sundays or during the week, Here's what they do. They hold open doors for you. They pass out, you know, worship guides for you. They teach your children. You know your kids are bad, and they teach your kids about Jesus. Everybody, that, that, listen, they love your kids. They pray over your kids. They, they, they were here at 7 o'clock this morning when you were... These people were here setting up this whole church, everybody. And in just a moment, when you leave and you go eat at Hungry Horse, they're going to stay here and load out this whole church. You know why all of these people are doing it? And look at them. Look at them happy. Look at them smiling. You know why they're doing that? It's because we decided, I'm going to chase what I've decided to live for more than something I can live on. Shout amen to that, everybody. Have a quick seat. 
I really do. I tell our dream team all the time. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this. You'll have to forgive me. I'm a little country like this, but I really do smoke what I sell, everybody. <laughs> like, like I, I, really do, I really do believe that you ought to discover that what God put you on this planet for. And I think if you'll do that, it's more like you can't ever. I couldn't pay these people enough money to do this. This is what they're called to do. This is what they're called to do. Here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, I hope that you are. Instead of just looking at spending, I think, we, I think the higher principle would be contentment instead of consumerism. The art of contentment instead of consumerism. I'm really convinced that we live in a society that is obsessed with more, like bigger and more and more and more and more stuff. How many of your grandmother had one purse? Come on, it didn't match every outfit. It was just that one purse she had. You know what I'm trying to say? My, gra- my, I, my grandma still got that same purse. That thing's broke down. I'm talking about broke down. And it's t- she got a Kleenex she's had in it since the 40s. You know what I'm saying? They bring it, you know what I'm trying to say? Y'all know what I'm saying. Just one thing or just one pair of shoes. I think my grandfather had one pair of shoes and he just, you know, when that pair wore out. And now, now, listen, my closet is foolish. Listen, I'm embarrassed to tell y'all. I got Crocs in my closet, everybody. Come on. You boy, we just get more. We just keep buying more and more stuff. And it's just, it's never enough. We, it's really, it's the plague of our culture. It honestly is the plague of our culture. And here's the reason why. Because we've lost the value of being content. That I got enough. But I got to tell you, if you're looking for real financial peace, contentment's where it's at. Say amen to that, everybody. Luke 12 and 15 says it this way. Jesus said, don't always be wishing for what you don't have. But real life and real living are not related into how rich we are. Like, it, it just, it's not related to that. In fact, if you look at the people who are the happiest around the world, they're the people who have the least. If you don't believe it, just go on a missions trip. Have you ever been, raise your hand if you've ever been on a short-term missions trip somewhere around the world, been in a third world country. It's amazing what happens. You'll see kids with sticks and stones and rocks, and they're happy. They're happier than your kids are with Xboxes and Playstations and playrooms full of stuff. Why is that? Because they've learned that, that stuff doesn't give me happiness, everybody. That there's contentment in my life more than there is. Here's the way Philippians says it. I know what it is to be in need and not have what I need. And then I know what it is to have plenty. And then Paul said, listen, I've learned that in either two of these ways, there's a secret to being content. That in whatever situation I'm in, whether I'm fed or hungry, whether I have plenty or I'm living in want, Paul said there's a secret to all of this. What's the secret? Would you write this down? It's not on the screen or in your notes. The secret to contentment is just realizing how blessed you are. Say amen to that, everybody. It's looking around at my stuff and going, if God doesn't do anything else for me, He's blessed me beyond comparison. Amen, everybody. Like if God doesn't answer another prayer, give me anything else, that what God's already given me is enough. God's blessed me and God's blessed. Here's the way I want you to write it down. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want. It's not just saying, well, when God finally gives me what I want, then I'll be happy. No, no, no. Contentment is the realization of what I already have. It's looking around my life and going, I'm blessed. If he doesn't give me a new car, I got a car to get to work. If he doesn't give me a new house, I got a house to live in. If, if we don't have everything new, we still got what we need. It's not a realization of what I want. It's, it's just looking around and realizing, man, I'm blessed with what I've got. It's contentment over consumerism. Listen to me as your pastor. Let me just help you real quick. We're about to enter a season when you go back to school. And then really from the time school starts until Christmas, like, we're just in a society that just inundates you with wanting more and greater and bigger. New shoes and better clothes and new, new stuff and new, new latest toys. Listen, I just want you to go into this season realizing it's, you can be content with what you got. Say amen to that, everybody. I don't have to have more. Don't have to, there's stuff that matters to you, you know, is the stuff that you, 
How many of you had something handed down to you that just means more than anybody else could buy for you? You know, my grandmother made a blanket for me when I was when I was born. She gave it to us when we had a baby. That means more than any. Like I don't have to buy anything more than that. That means something to me. Everybody, it's just saying I'm content with what I've got versus consumerism. Here, here's the third thing. I know we got to hurry. If you're looking at earning and then spending, here's the third thing, is saving. But really, I think the bigger principle is this. It's learning how to be God-dependent versus independent. It's learning how to be God-dependent instead of just independent. Now listen, saving is biblical. It's right. It's right. The proverb says only a fool spends everything that he's got. It's, it's the right thing to do. But the reality is, is while you're saving, you and I have to learn how to stay God dependent because we get this idea, this false sense of financial security that says I've got enough. But here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 18. It says the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. And then look at this. It says they imagine that their wealth is a wall too high to scale. He said that, that sometimes when you get too much, you start, you start thinking, well, I'm financially secure so nothing bad can happen to me. But listen to me very closely. It doesn't matter how much you have. It doesn't matter how much is in the bank or how much you've saved or how much you've accumulated. When the doctor calls and says it's cancer, none of that matters. Amen, everybody? You're now not dependent on your savings account. Now you start turning to God and go, okay, God, i got to learn how to be God-dependent in this and not independent. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean I'm not supposed to save. It means that my savings isn't what I'm dependent on. I'm depending on God for everything. Everybody shout amen to that. That I don't have to do it. It's the reason why the most generous people in the world are the poor. Listen, this is the truth. It doesn't, it doesn't even have to make sense to you. I'm just telling you statistically truth that the poorest people in America are the most generous. You know why? Because they realize I don't have enough anyway. I'm just going, I'm, I can't depend on this money anyway. It doesn't give me any security anyway. I might as well give it away where it can do some good to somebody. It's because they're not, they're decided I'm going to be God dependent. It's, it, it's the reason why the percentage of giving of Americans goes up the poorer you are. Let me say that again. The, the percentage of your income goes up that you give the poor, statistically in America, the poorer that you are. Why is that? Because the poor realize, I'm not, I'm not counting on none of this anyway. I don't have a lot to count on, so I'm going to count on God. I'm going to give what I do have to God, and I'm going to trust God to bless it. Say amen to that, everybody. Am I telling you savings wrong? Absolutely not. Am I telling you blessings wrong? No. I'm, matter of fact, I'm telling you just the opposite. I'm telling you that no matter what it is that I've got, I'm going to remain God-dependent and not independent. The writer of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 30, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only, you've heard this before, in the Lord's Prayer, my daily bread. Why? Because otherwise I may have too much and then I go and I forget God, I disown you and I say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and dishonor the name of God. He said, as a matter of fact, I don't want you to either way. I would just rather know I'm dependent on God for my daily bread. I'm just dependent that God's going to take care of it. That I'm not going to trust in what I can do or what you can do or what the economy does or who we elect president or what's going to go on in the world. I, my, my, my salvation isn't that. My security isn't in that. It's not, I, I'm, I'm, I believe in it. I trust it. I'm praying for it. But listen, I'm dependent on God to work everything out in my life. Shout amen to that, everybody. I'm God-dependent and not independent. Doesn't matter really his savings. Here's the way I would like you to remember it is that I'm going to trust in the one who richly provides and not just in riches. I will not trust in riches, but I will trust in him who richly provides. I'm not going to trust in riches, but I will trust in him who richly provides. Here's the, here's the fourth thing. 
If you're just looking at numbers, it's called investing. But uh, beyond the numbers, it's stewardship versus ownership. The higher principle of investing is stewardship over ownership. I think you ought to invest. I think you ought to, I think you ought to diversify. I really do. I believe you've got to look at the numbers. You've got to get the numbers right. The numbers matter. But we've got to go beyond the numbers. And really beyond investing is realizing that I'm a steward of something I don't own. It's like when you give your teenager your car. Listen to me. I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old little boy right now, almost three-year-old little boy. When, 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 when your boy gives, when he gets my car, I'm expecting you to come back just like Daddy left it you. You know why? Because it ain't yours. It's mine. Come on, somebody. All the parents say Amen. It's my car, and I'm letting you, I'm allowing you to steward it. I want you to steward it well because you don't own it. Say amen to that, everybody. I have a six-year-old little girl. I've been starting to use that about her room. I I don't know if it's working yet, but I I walked in the other day. She slammed the door. I said, baby, just so you know, daddy pays for this door, okay? You don't own this door. Come on, everybody. Shout amen to that. That's a whole other message. You're stewarding something I own. Listen. When you look at your life, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to get a better picture of this. And here's the picture. If you don't catch anything else I've told you, if I could preach one principle to you, honestly, I really would preach this one principle for three weeks. If, I could, if there's one way that could change your life when you look at life and money and hope, and it's this, that God owns everything, and I'm just His manager. That God owns everything, and I'm just stewarding what... That you mean every. I mean everything. I mean everything. I mean my stuff, my house, my cars. Listen, my time, my talents, my family, my kids. Some of y'all like, I'm going to give my kids back to God. You know what I mean? If they're yours, you deal with them. Like I, I, Everything belongs to God, and I'm just managing that. I, I, it's, the reason why we, it's the reason why people serve here. It's, the re, it's because I'm going to now, if I'm a steward of this... I can't keep it to myself. I have to leverage it for eternal purposes. Say amen to that, everybody. If all you look at is investing, here's what you do. You buy a house for less than it's worth. You put some improvements in it. And you leverage that investment for a profit. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? If you're just looking at the numbers, that's investing. But when you go beyond that, when you look at stewardship versus ownership, now you say, this house belongs to God. God gave me the ability to buy this house. Everything belongs to Him anyway. I'm just a steward of this. So now I'm going to leverage leverage this for eternal purposes. Now I'm going to open my home for a connect group. We're going to have a Bible study. Why? Because this is God's house anyway. Say amen to that, everybody. Now you start viewing everything in your life, your money, your time, your talents. Through that. Here's what the Bible says. The earth is the Lord's psalm says, and everything in it, everything in it. Everybody shout everything. Everything you've got belongs to God. And I'm just a manager. Does it mean that, that God doesn't mean for you to enjoy what you have? No, that doesn't mean that at all. He wants you to enjoy it. But He wants you to leverage what you have. Listen, for eternal purposes. For something bigger than what you are. You can leverage it for your family. I want you to. You can invest it for, for your grandkids. I want you to. But I really want you to leverage it for more. Because God owns it all in you. It's the reason why I grew up in church. And matter of fact, I grew up in a pretty strict church. And I grew up hearing people talking about paying their tithe. You ever heard anybody say that? That I'm, I'm going to pay my tithes? Anybody else ever heard that? Listen, you don't pay your tithe. I don't pay my tithe. I pay the light bill. Come on, everybody. I, I, pay, I, I pay the cable bill. I don't pay my tithes. I bring. Every time the Bible talks about tithing, it says bring your tithe. Malachi 3 says this. Bring all the tithe or the whole tithe into the storehouse or God's house so that there may be food in my... It didn't say pay the, the whole tithe. It said bring it. Why? 
Because my tithing already belongs to God anyway. How do I pay God what God already owns, everybody? I just bring it back to Him. Come on, my kids can't pay me in the car I own that they drive. They just better bring my car home. Shout amen to that, everybody. Just bring what it belongs. So when Brandy and I, listen, this is the truth. This is the way we live our lives. When Brandy and I get paid from this church, anywhere else that, that, that I preach or whatever else I do, whatever we have is an increase. The first thing we do is bring our tithe, the first 10% of what I make, I bring it to God's house right here. I, I, I tithe right here to City Hills. And, 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 and many of you do the same thing. And then I told you when we took the offering today, we take what you tithe and we tithe. I wouldn't, listen, we're never going to run this church and ask you to do something we don't do first. Never. It's why our, the way our church government is set up, you'll hear this in Growth Track. We tell everybody, it goes through Growth Track, how we handle money. And, and, and our, our church government, our overseers, the first 10% of everything you give, every dollar that comes in before we pay salaries, before we pay for rent, before we pay for anything, equipment, any, the first 10% of every dollar you gave today, we tithe to missions off the top. Because I'm bringing, because God owns everything anyway, and I'm just managing in that. Say amen to that, everybody. It's stewardship versus ownership. Here's, here's the last thing. I want you to think beyond giving. I want you to think beyond the numbers. And I really want you to get to generosity instead of misery. Would you write that down? Generosity over misery. And our musicians are coming. Let me wrap up really quick. I want you to start looking at but being opposite of, of generous as being a miser. You know somebody like that that's just stingy with everything they got? They're just, they're just like stingy with everything. Now, I'm stingy with food. I'm, I don't like to share food. Amen, everybody? Come on. Don't eat off my plate. I tell my wife when we got married, we were married 17 years, and, and I told her, listen, it took me a couple of months, but I eventually told her, listen, I'll buy you anything you want, but quit reaching over here, okay? I'm going to stab you with my fork. Don't do that. No more. Daddy, will buy whatever it is you want, but don't come over here drinking out of my drink. You can have it. Generous. Instead of misery. You say, well, what, what, what does generosity look like? Here's what, here's what Jesus said. I didn't say this. Dave Ramsey didn't say this. The, listen, the Bible says the Lord Jesus himself said this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's just more blessed when you're generous. It just, it's just amazing what happens. The happiest people I know are givers, everybody. They're just generous with what they have. They're the happiest people. You look around church and you think, man, why are they so happy? I will guarantee you it's because they're generous with what, everything they have. Everything they have. It's the reason why, listen, it's my favorite part of the whole day. You ready? It's the reason why today when you leave, we have thousands of these little cards printed. And I went to God and I said, God, how, how do I preach about money? People get weird in church when you preach about money. I don't know why. I really don't. The, the Bible talks five times. There are five times more scriptures about money than there are about prayer. The Bible talks a lot about it. So I said, God, how, how, how do we do that? And God said, I want you to show, I, I just want you to model what it is that, that it is that we do, like generosity, like just to live a generous life. So here's what we did. There are thousands of these cards when you come out, and they're just little cards on the front. It says something extra to show you that God loves you. In the back's a little information about our church, but when you leave today, we're going to spend the next three weeks. We may do this longer than three weeks. I don't know how long we're going to do it until, until God tells me to stop doing it. We're going to blanket San Antonio with thousands of these. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to do, these are just acts of generosity. I want you to do something for somebody 
Nothing in return, just slide the card over. When you, when you, go, to, when you go to HEB and you, you know that little thing you put between your order and their order and you're like, I didn't buy that. I don't know. I don't eat that. That ain't mine. <laughs> you know, you put that little thing. Just pick that thing up and tell the cashier I'm buying everybody's. And you don't have to say anything. You just, you just, you put, just give them the card. Just listen, something extra. When you go to Taco Cabana, come on, somebody. When you when you go when you go to a drive-through, just tell tell the tell the lady at the at the window, say, "Look, I'm gonna I don't how much is theirs behind me? I want to buy theirs." You don't have to say anything to them. You just tell them, "Listen, don't tell them. Just give them this card from me." You go to Starbucks, and and the guy in front of you is ordering, you know, a skinny vanilla latte with soy milk, half and half, iced upside down, whatever. Just tell him, "Hey, dude, I got it." I got it. Here's here's a card. Just not, you don't have to say anything. I, I want you to when you go to the restaurant. I want you to leave the biggest tip you've ever left in your life. You hear me? Like the I'm talking about. I want you to triple or quadruple whatever the bill is. Don't say nothing to the waitress. Just put a card down. I want you to do this every day, for as long as I, I'm telling you, I, tens of thousands of people I want to touch over the next couple of weeks. Let me tell you why. There's a church in Alabama about six years ago who did this. Very similar. Similar card. Said, said the exact same thing. Something extra to show you God loves you. And There's a guy, the true story, a guy in a, in a fast food line, McDonald's or Burger King, wherever he was. And, and he, he asked the lady, he said, how much do, does, she, do we, does the car behind me owe? And he said, $7 and something. He said, let me pay for hers. And I just want you to give her this card. Like if you'll give, like when she comes through, she doesn't owe anything. Just give her the card. It's okay. So he, he, he drives up a little bit, and, and the woman pulls up, and, she, and the cashier says, you know, the guy in front of you just paid for your meal. He just said to give you this. And on the card, it says, something extra to show you God loves you. And this lady, that before the car in front of her drove off, she wrote down the license plate number. This is a true story. She wrote down the license plate number of the car. And she looked on the back of the card just like this and had a little information about the church. And she looked at the church and she called the church office and said, hey, I need to know who drives this car. And she, she said the license number. And they were like, man, we don't keep license number. We're not like a cult. I don't know. What, like, we don't know who that is. What, but, what, but why? She said, well, I got this card. And she said, I went yesterday to this fast food restaurant. She named it. And she said, it was the last meal I was going to eat at, at my home. I was taking the meal home, and I had a gun loaded on the table. And I was going to eat. And I was done. And she said this sentence, I'm telling you the truth. I'm, I'm, I promise I'm telling you the truth. She said, you tell him that $7 saved my life. Why? Because generosity is just better than misery, everybody. It just means something when you know I'm gen- God owns all this anyway. I'm just going to be generous with everything I've got. I want you to think of the craziest ways to be generous the next few weeks. I want you to change the world. You know why? Here's the last thing I want you to write down. Because God's way works. It just works, everybody. It just works. God's way works. And, and here's really my prayer for you. It's, it's 1 Timothy. Listen, there's some, there's some books of the Bible written you know, to you. There's some books of the Bible written to me. It's, it's called a pastoral epistle. It was literally written to a pastor. And Timothy is written that way. Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, command them. He said, listen, pastor, you tell the church that you pastor, and this is what I'm doing to you, command them to do good. 
And to be rich, not with money, but in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, you're not just going to invest in the stock market, everybody. And I hope that you, I hope that you, I hope that you bought Starbucks when it was a buck a share. I, I really do. I want God to bless you, whatever you do. But you're going to lay up treasures in heaven, like for a foundation in the coming age. And more than all that, here's my prayer for you. Listen to me. This is why almost a year ago, Brandon and I left everything we, we knew and we started this church. It's because I want you to take hold of a life that is really living. Like the, our whole church is, my prayer for you today is that you take hold of life that's truly life. And the best way to do that is to be generous. Take somebody by the hand, stand up all over the house. I've preached too long, it's time to go, and I want to pray for you. I hope you're back the next couple of weeks as we keep walking through life and money and hope together. Why don't you bow your heads and nobody move for about two minutes. Everybody close your eyes. Nobody looking around. I just want you to ask God what I'm asking God. God, what are you saying to me? I want you to ask Him that question in your heart or out loud. God, what are you saying to me? God, what are you saying to me about how I handle money? Is it just numbers? i got to get all that right. And you do. You do. you got to get it right. you got to get some help. Join a group. Get in a class. Get it right. But God, are you saying something bigger than that? Like, is there something beyond the numbers that you want to tell me? about contentment in my life, about how it is that I I view everything belongs to God. God, help me to view everything that way. Father, I pray for the most generous church. God, if this city doesn't know anything else, if San Antonio doesn't know anything else about City Hills, if they never hear our music, if they never hear my preaching, if if they never experience the amazing presence of God, that if nothing else is said of us, I want this church to be the most generous church in this whole city. I want tens of thousands of people to hear that God loves them. Just through small things of generosity. Just people saying, hey, here's something extra. I don't own this anyway. This is God's. Here's something more. God, I believe your way works. I pray for something higher in my life. In Jesus' name. Everybody shout a big amen. Come on, let's give God the best praise you've given Him all day, everybody. Come on, do better than that. Give Him the best praise you've given Him all day long.